Hey there, and welcome to the Dynamics Hot Dish Podcast, serving up stories and knowledge on Dynamics 365 and the Power Platform. This is what's hot in Dynamics. You're now joining Merlin Schweiger, Liz McGlennon, and Ashley Steiner. Today we have a guest speaker on, um, and Jay is here to share his wisdom and expertise on our favorite and most interesting topic, licensing. Jay works for Microsoft as a technical pre-sales manager, and Jay and I go way back. Um, You've been in the space a long time. You were a leader at a Microsoft partner for quite a while, and I'll let you introduce yourself and share a little bit about your background, Jay. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be here. Uh, So Jay Lendl, live in uh, beautiful Minneapolis where it's minus nine degrees here this morning. So, you know, follow me like uh, our our North Central typically is this time of year. I've been with Microsoft uh, a little over five years. As Liz mentioned prior to that, most of my career was actually in the system integration space. A couple of times in that journey, once back in 2001, I ran a Dynamics practice and I got Microsoft Dynamics certified for the primary reason you got a free Xbox back then. It was really cool. And Xboxes were brand new and I had middle school kids at the time. So I'm like, ah, I got to get an Xbox. So I'll get Dynamics certified on 1.3. So very mm-hmm. exciting. Uh, and then Liz and I did work together uh, where we, we did do some dynamics consulting as well. So, but yeah, since at Microsoft, primarily in the, uh, the field sales group, uh, now I work for um, exclusively with FSI enterprise accounts is, is my focus right now. You want to define FSI for us? Oh, <laughs> like I'm sorry. Uh, financial services, insurance, cap markets, and banking. Um, so the kind of the largest in the U.S., the top kind of 200 180 financial services organizations that are headquartered in the United States. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into our our fun topic of the hour, licensing. As a pseudo-licensing expert my own self, I have to admit that in the questions that I've sent you that I plan to go through, there's a lot of sort of selfish, I would like to answer for these questions. But I, I think before we before we dive too far in, I was hoping maybe just from a high level, like if you could outline, I'm thinking mostly about like the, the power platform licensing, like the power apps and power automate licenses and the dynamics 365 licensing and sort of, I don't know, like how those two relate to each other or don't. Okay. I mean, I, I can, let's start with dynamics. Cause look, I, I think about yeah. it as our finished products, right? Because I think as most of your audience has come through in, in your existing conversations over time years, you know, dynamics is built on the power platform. So I think Let's start with the what we call the finished products or the true, you know, kind of applications as a service, if you will. You know, so across dynamics, sales, marketing, uh, customer service, field service, and then I'm going to also throw in, and I don't know if it's as common in yours as our finance and operations platform uh, as well, right? Predominantly is sold on a per user basis, right? I'm going to set marketing aside for a minute. So take marketing out of that. Sales, customer service, field service, and all of our finance and operations supply chain is predominantly licensed on a per user basis. And actually sales and customer service both have a device, a per device licensing. So if you have a staff that works, you know, three shifts, 24 hours a day, you can actually do per device based licensing for both sales and customer service. Little known fact. Actually, most people don't actually know that. And we don't see it that often because not that many organizations have 24-hour operations that share a computer, 
right? And so that would be the requirement. So, you know, in the past, we saw it in, you know, some, some you know, call, pure call center types of solution, you know, air, or physical uh, offices where they literally have staff, you know, kind of coming through using the new systems. I'd see a lot of that right now, right? Most most people have moved that function to home, and I don't know that it'll ever go back, you know, in. But just so you know, there is that option. Can Marketing. I have a question there yeah, please. Going. Is there a reason yeah. why there's not a per device option for field service? Uh, there just was never the use case. You never saw a device. Um, now, there, like on the warehouse side, for example, which we do have a per device uh, around some of the warehouse management in our ERP platform, right? So it, it's just been based on need and, and we just haven't seen that kind of field service technician, you know, sort of sharing their computer, right? I mean, it's just, it's typically been a mobile device and, and they just take it and go. So you just don't have that fixed location aspect of field service that often. So purely based on, you know, demand, uh, feedback, that kind of stuff. So that's sales, customer service, field service, and uh, kind of our broad ERP and finance. There's some exceptions. I'm trying to keep it at a, a reasonable aspect. Marketing and our customer insights platform. Uh, customer insights being our kind of customer data platform. Um, they're really purely capacity-based, right? So marketing is based on contacts or interactions. Right, and, and so that's how our marketing platform is licensed, which is what you would see on most marketing automation platforms in the industry. And then our customer insights is purely based on how many unified profiles you're gonna have. Doesn't matter how much data comes in, it's how many resulting uh, uh, customer profiles, either business profiles or contact profiles, you license your capacity for customer insights based on you know, true usage, if you will. So at a high level, that's kind of how we think about the dynamics. Now, where people come, come in, and this was some of the changes of the past, we used to have this idea of a hero skew, which was our customer engagement skew, which is where sales, customer service, field service, and at that time, project service automation were all included. Based on our customers, we really didn't see that many people using multiple, multiple workloads. And so those end up being individual workloads. So we could kind of manage that individual workload cost. So we have a, the idea of a base license and then the ability to do an attach. So say you have a user that needs both sales and customer service. One of them will be the base. One of them will be the attach. So they'd license sales plus a customer service attach. And the attach one is much less expensive than the base one, right? So that the, the, the costs combined are, you know, kind of fair market value, if you will. So base plus attach. If somebody needs three, they just two attaches, right? Um, is kind of that, you, you hear about that base plus attach. So that's kind of how that works. Any questions? I know that's a lot, but hopefully it gives you kind of a baseline on sort of those finished products around dynamics. Good for me. Yeah, I don't have any questions. That makes sense. Um, so I can start a little bit on the power platform, right? And so when I think about the power platform, I think about it in its broadest sense, right? So Power BI, Power Apps, Power Automate, and Power Virtual Assistant and then under it being Dataverse and connectors, right? right. And so if, if we start, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave Power BI out today. It's a topic on itself. A lot of our customers who have Office 365 E5 license, they just get Power BI Pro is included with an E5 license. 
Otherwise, people can buy a Power BI Pro or they can buy Power BI Premium, which is a consumption-based license, is how Power BI is licensed. Power Apps, um, which is obviously typically the way people enter into Power Apps, is, is really sold now in three ways. Um, we have the idea of a Power Apps per user, which is you assign that to a user just like any other Office 365 license, and they now have access or capacity, I mean, let's set rights aside and user profiles and all that, they can have access to unlimited applications, right? One, five, a thousand, we don't care. The per user license is access to any Power Apps applications in their tenant. So that's the Power Apps per user license, okay? Power Apps per app. We've had a couple of different versions of this over the last three years. The current version of the Power Apps per app license on the market is a single app, one application. And so the idea is think of it as a pass. It's an application pass. And actually in the user interface, it's actually an app pass. And so the idea being is that the, 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 active, the action of sharing a Power App is when an app pass gets consumed. So let's say I build an app this afternoon and I wanna share it with the three of you. In the app maker experience, I share it with you three. At that point, I've just consumed three app passes because you now have access to that application. Nowhere in any system do I have to assign you that license as a user. So this is different than a lot of the other Microsoft licensing. There's no actual license assignment. It is consumed at time of sharing. And then if you're unshared or you're, you're removed from AD, that token, that pass is put back into the pool. So that's kind of how Power App per app license really are managed differently and consumed differently. Okay, so and that's the Jay, per app. What, what counts as an app? So is it a model-driven app, Canvas app, Portal? Portal, like any three of those, okay. any of those. If you have an app that is a model-driven app with an embedded Canvas app, that's one app. Right, so it's it's it, a, an application context, if you will, um, is sort of an app pass would get consumed. Okay, but yeah, you brought up portals as well, so that is going to be an app pass. So you do a employee self service of some sort, that that's going to be an app pass for that user as well. So that's kind of your buy the license for power per user for per app and do that assignment. The third option, which is a little bit newer, we just uh, launched it on uh, November 1st is pay as you go for Power Apps. Pay as you go for Power Apps allows a customer who has an Azure subscription to actually associate a Power Apps instance, a Dataverse instance, with their Azure subscription and be able to do their billing in their Azure subscription. Um, and so we've seen a lot of our enterprise accounts that have very large Azure commitments can now consume those dollars, not just with Azure, Azure services, but also Power Apps. Okay, so that a really high level, that's kind of how Power Apps is licensed. Now, the big question is what, what, where does Power Automate fit into this from a licensing standpoint? Power Apps license, any of those three, includes Power Automate in the context of the application. Okay, sure. so the meaning being, so if I build this UI and I need to go do some connectors, whether they're, I'm gonna go hit uh, Exchange or SharePoint or a premium connector, I'm gonna go hit 
Salesforce. I don't know why anybody would do that. Uh, maybe they're going to go hit, idea. <laughs> right. Maybe they're going to hit their HR platform or just a, an Azure SQL database. Is that all of that connector that's hitting that UI? All of that Power Automate is included. That flow off of that UI that's triggered from the UI. All of that Power Automate functionality and those flows are included in the Power Apps pricing. Is there a limit though on how many times that flow can run? Yeah, there are daily limits on a lot of aspects of that stack. But yeah, at the end of the day, there are some limitations. Um, and uh, yeah, they're they're documented on the doc site under Power Apps. Uh, actually, I have it up. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to. It, I was trying to think. Uh, basically, if you search on Docs for um, request limits, Power Apps request limits, you'll get a page of of where some of those are. Um, and I think one of the questions, Merlin, you you sent over is, you know, there were some changes to some of those limits. Um, mm -hmm. recently. And, and basically, we look at all the back-end telemetry of customers. I mean, we don't look at their data. We look at their telemetry of how they're using it. And like our standard Power Apps per user and our Dynamics per user was like 25,000 requests a day. And so they felt like, you know, 90x percent of our customers were falling under that, never having any problems. They've seen some growth. So they increased that from 25,000 a day to 40,000 a day, for example. So they continue to watch to make sure that it's an exception. Uh, Ashley, to your question is, it, we, we really want those to be exceptional situations. Those exceptions tend to be when people are using it for service accounts, right? They have some backend mm -hmm. process that's doing basically some, you know, true ETL types of aspects and they're using a service account. And so we kind of reserve the right to limit that because you know we don't want to create a, what we call a noisy neighbor, right? Within our tenant strategy that can just affect us. So we want, so that's where you can leverage like a per flow license or some additional service capacity that allows you to go to higher API uh, if you need to. So there, there's ways to scale that up, but there is some limitations on the base skew. So Power Apps, Power Automate in the inclusion of it. And then our Power Virtual Agent platform, which is think about that as you know, any chatbot, right? Internal, external. Um, our, our Power Virtual Agent platform is built on our uh, Azure Bot framework, which is in use by thousands of customers doing millions and millions of conversations every day. In this kind of theme of lower code maker experience, we created a new front end and some monitoring tools, and that's what Power Virtual Agent is. And uh, so that's licensed purely based on sessions. There's no per se user license. It's it's the makers. Actually, there's a free license that you assign for people who are going to design chatbots. And then the consumption is purely based on session quantity on a monthly basis. There's basically a meter um, and you, you license how much capacity you want on a monthly basis. So that's kind of it across. The next big question I usually see come up then is, so I bought Dynamics, right? My customization and configuration now is done in Power, Audit, Power Apps, right? From a UI standpoint. So what's included with Dynamics? And so my short answer is, you know, Dynamics includes Power Apps in the context of Dynamics and Power Automate in the context of Dynamics. So the ability to configure, customize, extend, and integrate your Dynamics instance is fully included so that you can use all the Power Apps and Power Automate, what we call premium services. That's all included with your Dynamics license. 
doesn't allow you to go stand up standalone power apps and power automate in another instance, but it does in the context of the dynamics application. Makes sense. What about the other way around? So I've got power apps licenses and I've got some dynamics users. How close can I get to dynamics with my power apps license? You know, it's a good question. It is coming up more and more because again, if you look at the value of our stack, you know, as we all know with Microsoft, there's usually more than one way to do some things, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's there's many. Um, there there is a context that we have, and again, on our doc site of of restricted entities, mm -hmm. um, and that's very specifically on what Power Apps can do against Dynamics. So, if, like you said, you let's say you've got you know, Dynamics stood up, you've got some use cases, let's say in sales, you know, that you're leveraging Dynamics for kind of classic CRM standpoint, is can you use a Power Apps license to hit that? And the answer is yes, but in a limited way, right? So let's, and I break it down into two, kind of two or three categories. Number one is you lose all the UI stuff, all the beauty that comes with Dynamics on the pre-built UI, all the navigation, views, dashboards, you know, all that pre-built, taking the idea of a lead and converting it into a contact, an account, an opportunity, all of that comes with the model-driven UI and all the pre-built functionality of Dynamics. If you hit a Dynamics instance with Power Apps, you're only hitting Dataverse. You're not hitting any of the application logic. So yes, you can hit it. You have to reference the restricted table um, because there are some uh, of the fields you cannot use with a power app. I mean, we do mm -hmm. limit that. And think about those as more, some of the more complex calculated. So a lot of stuff in field service around scheduling, yeah. for example, you're not going to be able to hit that. Entitlements, knowledge articles, these are all restricted. You, you, you can't hit them from a power app. Can you hit account, contact, leads, opportunities? Absolutely, you can. Um, but, uh, and again, you're getting the benefit of Dataverse you're just not going to get any of the benefit of all the user functionality. Again, think in the UI, all the process-driven UI elements of moving an opportunity through the sales stages. You're not going to have access to any of that in a Power App. That's only going to be in the dynamics model-driven UI. Jay, do you have any advice, like if, if we have a listener that is a new implementation, they're trying to decide if Dynamics licensing or Power Apps licensing is the right fit, and they're unsure, do you have any recommendation or like general advice to give them on that decision? Yeah, um, yes. you know, partly is if, if you go to the Dynamics license, you're going to get all the R&D that's happening now and in the future that's specifically around those more finished use cases. So if you're going into a sales organization that has the concepts of leads, moving into opportunities, being able to manage a pipeline, have goals, have, you know, uh, manager views, all of that's just out of the box, right? So if you're going to use Power Apps, you're going you're gonna to own building all of that. Now, if you then want to upscale that a little bit and say you want to leverage some of our sales insights capability, right? Recommendations around next best actions, email follow-ups, um, you know, pull in some LinkedIn data and do some of those kind of things. You're not ever going to rebuild that in Power Apps. You shouldn't, right? That'd just be a, a bad mm -hmm. idea. So partly is how aligned are you to actually needing a full-featured version of that solution, whether it's sales or customer service. Where this came up, Liz, really recently is, is we had a customer that had 40,000 independent agents and they were using a competitor's platform, um, full CRM wealth management in their 
in their financial cloud, right? And, and so it was very heavy. And when we started the conversation, I looked at it and said, if we do dynamics full on, it's going to also feel heavy. There, there's a lot of greatness that comes with that heaviness, but they wanted to narrow it down in a way that I, I knew it, it causes some challenges with any full CRM platform that if you try disabling stuff to really narrow it down, eventually start coming into problems because the platform needs all of that functionality, right? That's how it works. And so we looked at it and said, you know, you don't need a CRM. What you really just want is a lightweight contact management and uh, solution, not a CRM. It wasn't, they don't they didn't care about opportunities. It wasn't anything about the sales process. It was literally managed contacts. So we replaced, you know, a very large spend for these 40,000 users with a Canvas lightweight application that had about five primary screens um, for a fraction of the cost to do dynamics as well as a fraction of the cost of the product that they were on. But it did exactly what they wanted and they didn't see that ongoing value of what we're doing in R&D for all that finished product capability. They really wanted the platform. They, they wanted the, 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 the low code, pro code platform that Power Apps would deliver them embedded with AD, leveraging Azure security and, and all of the greatness that comes by Power Apps sitting on top of Azure. That's what they saw the value in. We did leverage Dataverse and a lot of these pre-built entities slash tables and all that. But that's a use case that we saw that if it's super narrow, sometimes that's a reason to say, you know, that that might make more sense. But customer has to understand it's on them now. They're going to own sort of that core sort of process side of that. There'll still be updates to the Power Platform for them, but none of them will be unique necessarily to their features that they built out. Does that sure. make sense, Liz? Yeah, it's a great use case. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, and it was a good win for us from one of our competitors. So it was kind of fun. It's always nice. It's always nice to win from the competitors. Nice to win. One other, so I'm actually like looking through the list of questions that I had and it's, I feel like you've actually covered the vast majority of them. The only thing we haven't talked about is the, the Dynamics team member. Like I, I Does know, that still exist, Merlin? Are you sure there's still I, a team member license? I, I think so. I feel like I just Is saw there? it in some document, but I don't really understand like why, when would I buy a Dynamics team member versus just a Power Apps per user and get mostly the same features? I don't, I don't actually know. Yeah, I mean, it plays a little bit in what we're talking about. So to where you ended that question, why team members versus Power Apps, you're back to pre-built functionality, right? Sure. Again, if you're even if you're going to do Power Apps, you, you're going to have to build all of that navigation, all of the just standard views, putting, you know, all the things that the model-driven app, get. The, the big change started October, 2019. I mean, it, it was like, oh, did this just change? Like, no, actually we announced this change in October, 2019. It's, it's just taken a while for you know some customers through their renewals. Our, our use rights for customers, um, when they buy a product, whatever the use rights for that were in place at that time are what they have until their next renewal as an organization. So we literally have customers right now because of that change. And then we even had some people who in there, although this change happened in October of 2019 in January of 2020, and so, we extended some of those ability to still do some of the old licensing models. So we'll, we'll be dealing with this for about another year for customers who are going through these renewals. 
team members was one of those changes that, that changed from customer engagement plan to the separate workloads is again, what started October 19. And actually there was quite a bit of the power apps and power automate changes in October of 2019. So that was kind of a big kind of change of the strategy and how the licensing works based on customer feedback. Team members, so what, what is in place today um, all that agreement side of apart, if, if today you add team members into your license, the use case for team members is kind of this idea. And again, this was based on customer feedback that say you had a core sales organization that had 120 people in it. You know, and then you had the managers, then you maybe had leadership, and then you had other roles in the organization that just wanted access to the data, right? They, they didn't want to, they're not going to work the opportunities, they're not progressing them, they're not doing that work, but they'd like visibility. So that was where the idea from the very beginning, a team member saying, license your core with the full license, and then use the team members to just give a bunch of other people access to the data, right? I'm somebody over in you know, some other part, but I just want to be able to look up contacts or see what the state of our business is or our pipeline, being able to see all those dashboards and everything else that's built out kind of initially on a, on a read-only basis, but then team member also allows the ability to do some record updates, right? Some CRUD functions the team members do, do provide for, but it's limited. The big change that came out in the last year is that you can no longer, a team member can no longer hit the regular Dynamics application. There are three very specific team member applications now and those are the mm. apps that they have to hit pros and cons number one is they can still get to all the data con is you now have two applications that you're maintaining the primary one that maybe the sales organization is doing and then the sales team member application that specifically and, and we this is a hard enforce there's a lot of things we don't do in our platform that are hard enforced one gig storage available to create an instance is one Team members is another. Um, there's only a couple more. Um, and so, you know, if, if a team member tries to go to the URL of your standard Dynamics instance, it's going to say you don't have rights or you don't have license or you don't have something. It's going to stop you. Okay. So there's a separate URL for the team member application, which can be configured. Um, the limitation is you can only, a team member license can only have the base plus 15 custom tables slash entities. So there is limitations. You can't just rebuild what you did for the full user. It's a, it is a limited application, but can be configured and customized. And so that's the use case now for the current team member license uh, that's in play. And there's a, uh, again, in the docs, you can see uh, where the limitation, and, and it's really more the, the, the pivot being is what entities does a team member have the ability? They can update a contact, they can, uh, 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 activity, a lot of the activity stuff is things that they can do updates and create activities, for example, a team member license. But again, they can't progress an opportunity, for example. So it is limited, but it, it's at, again, expanding the use so other people have access to the data and the reports. Uh, I would put it in that kind of category. So Jay, Liz just to like questions. clarify, yeah, like you couldn't build a new model-driven app and grant a team member user nope. access to it. It has to literally one of those three applications. That is what you start with, and then you configure that application from there. And yep. what are the three? Sales, customer service, and... Yeah, it's called customer service team member, sales team member, and project resource hub, which would been touched, kind of built 
in that those PSA project service automation days. Um, so those are the three published applications. I'll give you a little glimpse going forward on this, but I just before I do that, that's kind of what's out there right now on Team Member Edition. I remember when that change was made and there was some panic among the community. <laughs> it is because we had a lot of customers that, well, the big change was I need another app. They, they, they like the idea of the team member license, but again, up until that time of 2019, a team member license could hit your, your primary dynamics instance. Right. You just had to put the security role in place to limit, you know, what, what, uh, kind of honor system cable. Well, <laughs> good or bad. We have a lot of ours is that is, is a responsibility of our customers to understand enough about the license to assign, you know, user roles that will be compliant. Mm -hmm. Yep. I kind of, I think it made it easier though. So that the, Customer doesn't have to make sure it's compliant. I think now they the, don't. You're right. The apps, yep. I, in my opinion, it makes it easier. Yeah, it's more predictable. You know what you're, you know what you're getting. You know what the intent is, so you can be a lot more specific with the usage. Yeah. Where this team member piece is going um, is we're gonna and we're gonna pre-built more functionality in Teams, right? The 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 Teams uh, user interface. So. During this calendar year, you're going to see some release of some, not like exactly mapping up to those current team member apps that I was talking about, but it might even be smaller segments of what what do we see as applicable use cases that when you're in teams, you might want to just look at an opportunity and update an opportunity, uh, be able to you know, see what cases are open. So there's going to be some very specific kind of smaller, uh, you know, kind of sub apps, if you will, within customer service, within sales, that you literally are going to just look like teams. We're not just taking these apps and embedding those in teams, which you can do today, right? You can just put a URL in mm -hmm. and you can just have teams be a, a browser at the end of the day, which we have a lot of customers do that, not just with Dynamics, but with Power Apps in general, right? Just embedding Power Apps in the Teams UI. We're building some apps that are just going to look like Teams, but they're going to go at, and they're going to be pre-built, provided by Microsoft, where it's going to go after specific functionality on the Dynamics backend. So I think when we do that, we'll continue to update what the team member license model is, and more of it's just going to be included. If you own Teams, you're going to own team member access, as long as it's embedded in Teams. So. Uh, and, oh, nice. and that's actually been published. It, the, there's not all the details or the when, so I'm only sharing what's publicly available. But, but this, I think, will be interesting for customers when they say, okay, we live in Teams. Can we just surface more of these you know, capabilities Just and Microsoft provide more of that tooling to just connect into some of those kind of use cases? So, so that will be coming in this calendar year. So we don't get any like sneak preview announcements. I know. I'm like, we can, can't break any NDA stuff on a podcast. Come on, Jay. No, I, <laughs> I had to clear all of this. You know, I wrote out every answer that I was going to have, and I had to get it approved. That's no, so a, a lot of this is all in our licensing guides. I just happen to read them, and most people don't. So well, they're long. <laughs> well, I guess that kind of leads me to my yeah. question: is as an end user or customer, I've always been on that side of it, and I don't want to say that the licensing is difficult right but it is it's lengthy right you it it's, it's it's a very long document to go through it and trying to piece it all together what resources are out there to help customers or end users make sense of it obviously listening to this podcast is one yeah. but what else is out there i mean i have seen 
you know, if, when I do Bing searches, um, I will find, you know, where, where people have tried to demystify, you know, especially when some of the larger changes, you know, sometimes will publish, you know, just sort of some of those Delta changes, right? And, and but, but I'll see some partners um, who will, you know, do a really good job of, you know, kind of really focusing on the change, right? What was the, the, the change? I don't always know why. And, and sometimes we don't exactly know why, but, you know, I, I definitely had done some searches in the past that I've shared out because we don't always have that level of detail that we can send. So I would say number one is just look for you know, and do some searches on that. Number two is, you know, whoever that, you know, as a customer, whoever your licensing partner is, right? Uh, you know, they should be able to help, right? I'm, I'm not saying they're experts, but they should be able to help. It's a place to start. And a lot of them have some of their Microsoft licensing specialists on their team. So they'll kind of have their general rep that works with you as a customer. Um, and then, you know, usually behind the scenes, they've got folks that, you know, kind of support their their various products that they sell. And so, because I work with some of those, at least in larger accounts, and so hopefully they're doing enough of that that they can help everybody, right? That, that, so that's one place I think we get some scale is through our, our licensing reseller partners. Um, you know, some system integrators, if a customer is working with somebody to help in the implementation, um, many of those, because they run into this a lot, you know, they'll have at least familiarity, kind of the big blocks, not necessarily all the details. But again, I, I think, Ashley, to your point, a lot of times it's just you get started, you know, then then there is some drill down. Well, what about in this case? And, and, and there's a whole side of this where, you know, how do you get super creative? But those tend to come in on a lot of the much bigger, you know, types of situations where there are, you know, thousands of users or whatever. And then I think the third option is, you know, if you... Um, are in the channel of, you know, where you have a direct relationship with Microsoft, reach out to Microsoft, right? They can get you to people on the team um, that probably know a whole heck of a lot more than I do about our licensing, you know, that that should be able to help, you know, in your specific context. I mean, we don't usually cover all of this with a customer at any one time, right? Because they're usually like, well, we're trying to do this thing. Well, let's get really focused on what you're trying to do. Right. Um, because there's things that I haven't talked about that I know are some where where the the details comes in of, you know, some of the add ons that we have. Right. So I own cust I own dynamic sales enterprise, but I do want to use some of that new AI ML capabilities. Tell me about the sales insights. And that's a skew and there's a price for that. What's included with that versus what comes with the base product? versus customer service insights, which is just included, right? I mean, that, that, that is hard to decipher, um, you know, but I, I would say the best case is understand kind of the scope of that and then kind of walk through that channel, you know, doing some searching, talk to your reseller, and then if you can, you know, connect into somebody at Microsoft to, to just try to get some clarity. But I think when you're bringing that, you know, be as focused on that as you can. What are you trying to do? What do you need? And I'm sure through one of those three, you can you can find that kind of guidance. Yeah, or they can reach out to you. And they can reach out to you, and then you can ping me, and then you know we can try to fill that gap somehow. I was gonna say we're not just gonna throw your email in the show notes and say, hey, reach out to Jay if you have questions. Uh, I got enough of that. I got enough of that internally. I get I get plenty of that here, by the way. So. 
I feel like it'd be great if there was, I don't know, a power virtual agent chatbot somewhere that Microsoft had that you could just ask it licensing questions. Hmm? You know, the, I mean, it, it, how hard that would be to set up. Oh, it would be impossible to maintain. <laughs> what a but. nightmare. <laughs> so I always wonder, so I'll, uh, I'll give you one non-external fact. We actually have a license queue chatbot internally. Um, that's, it's, it's not using PVA, but it is using Azure bot framework. It's just, it's been around for three, four years. And they, I, I don't know if there are hopes or someday that it answers to your point, Liz, there's so much complexity in this and you gotta be careful if anything just answers a question, cause it could just be wrong. Right. I mean, it, yeah. it, you know, statistically it could just be wrong, but I always wonder like if you train that long enough, could you just make that available external? Um, but uh, so yes, we internally have some of those kind of tools, but I think just due to risk and confusion, it, it, it's tricky to put something like that external right now. Well, you have um, to think about like at the rate in which it changes too, like right. will it ever have long enough to really figure it out or will it yeah. have changed by then? Yeah, I know one of the questions, Merlin, was what do we see? And I, I, I think the big changes are over, but but we, I think we'll continue to see incremental. I mean, I'll throw a really small example, right? It's like the Power Apps license now, as of about two weeks ago, nobody noticed, but we now include 500 AI builder service credits with every user license. Didn't used to, we just threw that in. And that's based again on feedback that, AI Builder always came with Power Apps, but no capacity. She couldn't do anything with it. It was in the maker experience, right? You could pick a model, you could drag it, just drag it into an application. You know, you train it with 10 images and you could start capturing forms data, right? I mean, that's the idea with AI Builder, but no capacity. So right away, I can't use it. Like, well, now you'll get 500 per, per user and that'll be pooled at the tenant. So it's a place to start. Um, so we'll, I think we'll continue to look at packaging. Some things will merge, some things will separate. And I think that comes both from us watching telemetry of how the tools or products are used and then direct customer feedback is definitely, Pago is all customer feedback. I mean, it, that, that absolutely customers saying, I got my Azure, I have my Azure commitment. Why can't I, you know, uh, have my power apps draw down on my Azure. You just told me it's all built on Azure. This, you, the, the beauty of the platform is it's all Azure. Like, why can't I now decrement against my Azure commitment? Like, now you can't. We had to build a lot of the plumbing so that it worked. You know, Azure has policies. So you can do like HR department. Now power apps can be falling. We just had to have a lot of those things in place before we could start doing Pago. But I mean, that was all based on customer feedback. Yeah. Interesting. So Liz Merlin, do you have any other questions before we get to our final, yeah, our final fun oh, question? I think it's I mean, time. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jay, I know you're from Minnesota, and so I know you know what a hot dish is. So the question is, drum roll, what is your favorite hot dish? You know, I, I um, thought that question might be coming. Um, <laughs> We yeah, only I, ask I, it to every guest. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I thought about it for a few minutes and I thought, you know, there's been some that I like, but there, there's one that we make almost once every month and it's tater tot hot dish, right? Tater tots, oh, corn, hamburger, and some cream of something. Um, Whatever you have so, in the cupboard. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I'd say tater tot hot dish is the, is, is pretty much, uh, we're empty nesters now. So my, my wife and I, you know, definitely a comfort food at least once a month has to be tater tot hot dish. I actually just had tater tot hot dish for the first time in a really long time. Like I had it all the time growing up and I got really sick of it. And I was like over at my parents like a month or so ago 
it's winter and so you're kind of like hot dishes are nice and I'm like I'm hungry and my mom's like I have leftover tater dot hot dish and I'm like sure I'll have some and she's like you yeah. used to hate this and I'm like yeah I haven't had it in years like it sounds great <laughs> my, my wife and I have both had COVID at least once in the last couple of years and and I don't know our, our I think for both of us our taste has not is not the same anymore. I don't know if it's in our brain. I don't know. I don't know where it is, uh, but it's and meat has not taste the same for us as it used to. And so Tanya, my wife, the last time she's like, I, I think next time I'm going to make tater tot hot dish without the hamburger on the bottom, because she really likes all the other flavors, but the, the hamburger just doesn't taste as good as it used to. So um, we, we might have to try that out. Are you going to add anything else in there? I don't know. Cause we're like, like what well, would veggies? you put? I don't know. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, so again, hamburger kind of helps it come out of the out of the pan. So I don't know what else we'll do, but um, so that's our that's our strategy. So you guys have a special tater tot hot dish recipe that you have, or just kind of make it up as you go. Ours is pretty basic. Yeah, it's really those four things, and that's it. And uh, I like to overcook. I like crunchy tater tots on the top. So <laughs> and lots of tater tots. <laughs> yeah. Even when I warm it up, that's going back in the even back in. The, it's not a microwave thing, right? It's going back in the oven oh. or in the uh, um, what's the other little fast cooker? Oven? Uh, air something fryer? like it. yeah, air fryer. So you get it nice and and mm -hmm. that top stays dry. Yeah, you so. can't have soggy tots. No, no, no. I like the crisp tots. I'm right there with you. Well, cool. Well, I hope this was helpful. I hope that, you know, we hit most of this stuff. So very helpful. Thanks for joining us today, Jay. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. It's always fun. Thank you for listening to the Dynamics Hot Dish Podcast. For additional content and previous episodes, check out our website at dynamicshotdish.com, follow us on Twitter at Dynamics Hot Dish, and subscribe to our podcast for notifications. Thanks. See you next time.